0: morning church. I don't know um, if you've been following the news regularly. I I tend to not watch a lot of the news just because I think sometimes it's more bad than good but a story that really gripped me lately and and I'm sure for many of us in the room this morning was the devastating scenes in Afghanistan and it was really heartbreaking to watch those desperate scenes at the airport as citizens scrambled onto the planes to try and evacuate their country and and, and the worst ones were where you saw some even fall into their deaths after trying to cling to the US military planes as they took off. And you may all or may not be familiar with the work of Open Doors, they're a charity that support Christians and churches in over 60 countries by uh, supplying Bibles, providing emergency relief and, and helping persecuted believers stand strong in their faith. And in the UK, Open Doors helps the church to pray, give, and speak out for those um, who share our faith but don't share our freedom. And a few years ago, I remember Ruth taking a, a lesson in Faith Builders, talking about the persecuted church and introducing us to the work of Open Doors and, and particularly, the watch list. So, this is where countries where Christians are at more risk of persecution. And and since the scenes that we've seen in Afghanistan recently, I've been following the work of Open Doors and the work that they've been doing in that country. And I just want to talk a bit about some of the things that's happening. So this is taken directly from the the Open Doors website, and, and it says this about Afghanistan. So even before the Taliban took over the country, life was really difficult for Christians and other religious minorities in Afghanistan. For years, the country has been on the number two has been number two on the world watch list, behind only North Korea in terms of the extreme level of persecution that Christians face. It's impossible to live openly as a Christian in Afghanistan and it's particularly difficult for Christians who are from a Muslim background. Leaving Islam is considered shameful and Christian converts face dire consequences if their new faith is ever discovered. They either have to flee the country or they will be killed. If a Christian's family discovers that they've been converted, their family, clan or tribe then has to save its honour by disowning the believer or even killing them. Christians from a Muslim background can also be sectioned in a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a sign of insanity. And women are particularly vulnerable. They are considered to have a lower status in Afghan society. So that's really heartbreaking to read about what happens for our fellow believers in that country. My hair has got trapped in the microphone, but we'll just carry on. Um, So on the 2nd of September, Open Doors then published this article and it really just took me by surprise. And I want to read that to you this morning and then share some thoughts about what we can learn. So the title of the article was, God has not given up on our country, says Afghan parents of a newborn baby. The article then read, on the evening that Afghanistan's capital fell into the hands of the Taliban, somewhere in the city, a Christian couple welcomed the birth of a baby girl. It's hard to imagine a more difficult world for her to enter. The country is in turmoil. Christians and other religious minorities live in fear and women in particular are extremely vulnerable. Sources on the ground confirm that the Taliban are going door to door to weed out unwanted elements says Jan Vermeer, the communications director for Open Doors Asia. That includes everybody who collaborated with the Western Christians. Anybody who is exposed as a Christian faces severe punishment, kidnapping, torture or even execution. Everyone is, is afraid, however, each responds differently. Some try to escape the country while others decide to stay where they are and remain secret believers. Others want to escape the country but can't and others are really unsure about what to do. So what does the future hold for this Christian girl in Kabul? It might seem hopeless. The Taliban follow an extreme militant form of Islam, and a senior commander has already said they will reinstate Sharia law. And the last time the Taliban was in power, women were banned from the workplace and girls from schools, besides a host of other restrictions. Many women fear for their future and that of their own daughters. But this couple have hope against the odds the sort of hope that can only come from following our living God. A a local source told Open Doors that the parents see the birth of their baby daughter as a sign that God has not given up either on them or their country. The birth of this baby in a Christian home reminds us that God can bring life in the midst of the deepest darkness, that he can bring hope. So I don't know if that article astounds you, uh, but for me, I was just in awe when I read this, that in the midst of all this devastation that we have seen on the news in Afghanistan, this Christian couple have not given up. They have not proclaimed that their God has abandoned them and there's no longer hope, but they have declared that the birth of their daughter, and we read a daughter, we know that girls and women are most likely going to face real difficulty moving forward in that country, but the birth of their daughter is a sign from God that he has not given up on their country. Wow, isn't that amazing? Um, I'm just astounded by this couple's faith and, and their complete trust in God. And, you know, sometimes I can be so quick to think that that God is just not bothering with me, that he's given up on, on a, a prayer that I've been um, persistent with. Uh, and how silly do I look now, um, just reflecting on this article that we've read, that this couple who are facing real uncertainty, I would say even a really terrifying, violent future with further restrictions on their freedom, they're still steadfast in their faith and continue to give that glory to God. That's just amazing. And there's so much that we can learn from the persecuted church, not just in Afghanistan. And and stories like this really encourage us to reflect on all that God has done for us in our own lives. And we I don't know how thankful you feel this morning, but we have so much to be thankful for as as Christians and, and as a church. Even being here this morning is just a huge blessing from God. I'm not sure how you felt about coming to church this morning, where it was a bit of a struggle to get out of bed. Um, but we don't have to hide our faith this morning. We can sing as loudly as we want this morning. Let the neighbours hear our praise. We've got nothing to fear. We can praise him free, freely. There's a plan that I've been following on the Bible app as well. Um, and it's been focused on, on the persecuted church. And the thoughts that I'm going to share with you this morning do come from that, that plan, and I've added a bit to it, but um, I don't need to take this. That I've come up with everything this morning because it's been great to just follow that structured study um, through the Bible app. And within the Bible, we, we can see so many examples of persecution. We read about the presence um, and reality of oppression and persecution in the world, and the the Bible presents many examples of people persecuting persecuting one another both in the old testament and in the new we can read examples of physical social mental and spiritual persecution and social persecution is can be described as discrimination so in this involves making individuals or groups um making them outcasts in society. And we know that this level of persecution still continues today in society. And sometimes, even for us as Christians, we can be part of that ongoing discrimination. In Acts 5, verse 17 to 42, we read about a time when the, the apostles met opposition. Peter and John were given strict orders not to preach the gospel. In Acts 5 and then verse 29, it then says, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And as a result of that, the high council were furious and um, they ordered them to be killed, but then a Pharisee stepped forward and advised them to be left alone, arguing that if these men were obeying the calling of God, that they could not be overthrown. And the council agreed to not killing them, but instead they were flogged and ordered to never speak in the name of Jesus again. But then if we read in uh, verse 41 to 42, it says the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus was the Messiah. These men had just been threatened with death. They were beaten and, and flogged and ordered to never preach again, but instead they rejoiced and continue to spread the word of God and declare that Jesus had risen and he was the Messiah. I just wonder how I would react in that same situation and would encourage you to reflect as well how you would react. There's so much that we can learn from the persecuted church and also that there's so much that, that can be used to really challenge us. So I just want to share five things this morning about what we can learn and, and these are taken from the Bible plan that I mentioned. And the first links to the story that we've just reflected upon in Acts, and that is radical joy. James 1, verse 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. And it says not just any joy, but great joy. That's not easy, is it? To consider the trials that we face as joy. You know, there's been quite a few traumatic things that that I've been through in my life so far. And I can I can't say that I've ever received those feeling joyful about what I'm about to go through. But God's desire is that we receive those trials, those difficulties, that persecution with an attitude of joy, an attitude of radical joy. He wants us to recognise that in these circumstances, we can be used for the glory of God. Radical joy means that we have a recognition that our sovereign God can be trusted in absolutely every situation. Radical joy is knowing that God never wastes the trials that we go through. They can always be used by him. Radical joy is understanding that our trials and tribulations are a means through which a faithful God can perfect and complete us. Just imagine the impact we could have on the people around us if even when we are facing some of our most difficult days, we are still giving praise to God and publicly trusting in his promises. You know, it's in these moments of difficulty that people are curious about where our joy and strength comes from. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If we look at the story of Paul and Silas in prison, instead of weeping and feeling hopeless, they welcomed persecution as an opportunity to fulfill their role as servants of God. They refused to remain in sadness and they found their circumstances to be a reason for them to pray and continue worshiping God more. The Bible says that they were praying and singing praise to God whilst the other prisoners were listening. That's radical joy. So how do you enter into times of difficulty? With a feeling of hopelessness or with glad rejoicing? The persecuted church teaches us that radical joy, that James 1 verse 2 lifestyle can be more than just a crazy thought, but it can really be a lived reality. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we can learn from the persecuted church is radical faith. I'm sure you're familiar with the story in Daniel 3 where Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, so those three young Hebrew men who were in exile in Babylon, they violated the king's order rather than violating their own commitment to worship the one true God. If we read from verse 12 to 18 in Daniel 3, it says... But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of the gold that you have set up. So furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, cypher, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up." These three men displayed such a radical faith. They believed God through that trial and that tribulation and the persecution. They believed that their God had the power to deliver them from that blazing furnace. And I just love what what they said next. They said, even if he does not, we still won't serve your gods. That radical faith was formed in the center of persecution. They knew that this was an opportunity for their faith to become really deep and powerful. We know from reading the following passage of that story that the men were thrown into the fire, but King Nebuchadnezzar was amazed to see them walking around that blazing furnace, completely unharmed, accompanied by a fourth God was there in the fire with them. And that same God is working for us today. Sometimes it's difficult to read the stories in the Old Testament and think, I can't imagine being thrown into a blazing furnace now and and God saving. But that is the same God that that we have (laughs) in our lives today. You know, when I get to heaven, I really want to talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Ruth's been doing a brilliant series on heaven at Faith Builders. and, And sometimes we talk about the people that we want to meet. But on, on my list, I really want to just talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when I get to heaven because they knew that nothing was impossible with God. They had a radical, persevering faith. Proverbs 3, uh, verse 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In Mark 11, verse 22 to 24, it says. Um, A.W. Tozer, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he said this quote on, on faith as well. True radical faith rests upon the character of God and asks for no further proof. And I love that quote. It's in times of trouble and adversity that God demonstrates his faithfulness to us by providing what we need to get through that storm. Whilst he doesn't always change our circumstances, I'm so thankful that he sustains us throughout them. So what are you facing this morning? Do you have a radical faith where you confidently trust in the promises of God? The third thing that we can learn from the persecuted church is radical hope. Romans 5 verse 3 to 5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our our hearts with his love. Again, that verse talks about that concept of radical joy, but it also really focuses on radical hope as well. You know, the enemy's desire for us, particularly when we're facing difficulty and persecution, is for us to feel completely hopeless. He sets out to destroy hope because he knows that with hope, the hope that is given to us through Christ Jesus, it stirs passion, that hope energizes us, it fills us with joy and it sustains us. With that hope, we can persevere, it is powerful and it is essential to us as Christians. You know, for that couple in Afghanistan, they have this radical hope against all odds And I really struggle to comprehend that, just knowing what what the future looks like for them. I can't even imagine what that situation must be like. And I'm just in admiration of them. I don't know their names, I don't know who they are. I've just read about them on an Open Doors website, but they are standing firm in their faith and continuing to trust in God. What an amazing example to set to other believers. And you know, there are other testimonies from across the persecuted church And I'd encourage you to just spend some time reading them on open doors. But these testimonies remind us that God is still faithful. They remind us that the hope that God gives us does not disappoint. It is a hope that is confident and steadfast. Ephesians 1 verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I pray that as a church and as, as individuals that we would all have a grasp of hope that in which that we have been called. How differently would we approach our trials if we truly understand what it meant to have this hope in our lives? The fourth lesson that we can learn this morning is radical love. So Matthew 5 verse 38 is, You have heard the law that says the punishment much, must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tough for a tough. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I would argue um, that there's a lot of Christian concepts and and biblical principles that run counter to our natural instincts. It's not easy to love those who hurt us, but the Bible encourages us to live spiritual lives rather than natural. We're encouraged as Christians to love and pray for our enemies, to pray for those who persecute radical love displays unnatural responses to unjust circumstances. Persecution provides Christians with an opportunity to really love at a deeper level. You might have someone in mind this morning who has really hurt you, someone that you might even class as an enemy, and you may be thinking, it's absolutely impossible for me to show love to them. But the persecuted church shows us that radical love is possible. And you know, Jesus was also a great example of showing that that radical love is possible. Luke 23, verse 34, we know the words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Even on the cross, Jesus was praying on behalf of his persecutors. And we know that it's through God's love for us that Jesus was sent to the cross to die for our sins and give us that opportunity to enter into a holy relationship with our creator. That's a radical love knowing that Jesus died for even the persecutors in the world today. The last lesson that that I want us to just look at from the persecuted church is having a radical perspective. Matthew 16 verse 23 says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. It's so important that we as Christians see our lives through the lens of eternity and consider the trials that we face in life as through an eternal perspective. If you read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, they all they offer a, a really good opportunity to explore this, is, this eternal perspective on humility, on mourning, gentleness, righteousness, and purity. It says, some of the verses say, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, we are blessed when we are persecuted, slandered for the sake of Christ. If we look at the story of Paul and Silas again in prison, they refused to be discouraged by their physical situation. They denied to look at their circumstances from a human point of view. They used their eyes of faith to see possibilities whereas the other prisoners and the guards just saw impossibilities for them. We need to learn to adopt God's perspectives on the trials that we face. We've learned this morning that it's in those moments that God can work through us to display radical joy, faith, hope, and love. So is there something this morning that you're facing and you just need to start seeing it from God's eternal perspective and stop worrying about what it looks like from a human perspective? This morning, I've tried to summarise five lessons from the persecuted church. And I want to ask, after reflecting on those, do you feel like a radical Christian here this morning? Do you enter into your trials rejoicing? Do you display steadfast hope in the promises of God? Do you have an unshakable, immovable faith? Do you show love to those who hurt you, those who persecute? And do you look at things from God's perspective? You know, for me, reading about the persecuted church and preparing for today has really challenged me. And I say that with all the messages that I prepare. And I always think God uses them to challenge me first and foremost. But you know, the Christians that we focus on today, they're forced to hide their faith. They're forced to hide their identities in Christ because there are extreme consequences for them. They can face death. You know, but... Sometimes it's easier for me to hide that I'm a Christian because then people won't ask me questions. And I know that there is so much more that I can do to show those around me that I am a child of God. There's so much more that I can do to display that radical faith, that radical hope, joy, and love, that perspective in my life. And you know, there are people around me who need to see that through me in my life. There are people around me that I pray would find God for themselves. So church, it's time to be radical. Let's be a radical church. Let's be radical Christians who attract others because of the hope, love, faith, joy, and perspective that we have when we face trials in our lives. Let's keep praying for our global church family too. And you know, the Bible encourages us, let's pray for those persecutors as well. So I hope this message has spoken to you this morning. I hope it's challenged. It's certainly challenged me, but a sort of a bit of homework that I'm gonna say, I would encourage you this week, just to spend some time reading some of the stories on open doors about what life is like for Christians across the world, but just focus on some of those stories of hope, where other believers are really standing firm in their faith and, and setting an example for other believers. And you know, our God is still at work and these testimonies really remind us of that. So thank you so much for listening.